0: You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network, now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. Very good, Johnson. From the AfterBuzz Studios in Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is AfterBuzz. This is Afterbuzz TV's Sherlock After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show. It's Afterbuzz TV's Sherlock After Show.
1: Hey there, Sherlock fans. You know what time it is, or do you? You may be personally surprised. You thought that the season was over. Well, guess what? You're right, but you're also <laughs> wrong, because this is After Buzz TV's Sherlock After Show. We're going back to the start. We had so much fun recapping season three, and I think you all enjoyed it as much as we did. So we're going way back to the start. We're recapping seasons one and two over the next few weeks. So excited to be doing that. I'm Matt Lieberman. Join me, of course, the fantastic panel all back. Yael Teagle's here. Hello. Megan Salinas is here. Hey, everyone. And Marissa Serafini's here. What's up, guys? Oh, my God. You're on the ones and twos. Again. And you're on the panel. This is yeah. amazing. What a wall-to-wall. We're all back. full of talent. <laughs> we're all freaking back. I That's know. Awesome. So we're doing a study in pink, which, you know, I hadn't watched in a little while. Yeah. And especially after just watching season three... And seeing everything that came out in in that season, it's so much fun to go back and see what the show was like at the start. And we've come a long way, people. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was amazing even just seeing John walking on that cane was like I can't believe we've come that far. They've changed each other so much. How would you feel watching the episode? Uh
2: there were so many little things that they said that I was like, "Oh, this is hilarious because in season 3 they get to that." <laughs> there was a joke about Christmas at their house, and I was like, "Oh, we get to see that." Mm-hmm. It was really fun to see it.
3: Yeah, it was very interesting to see um to like you were saying to go back to the beginning. Because Sherlock himself has come a long way in terms of like letting people in and warming up to people. And it was kind of bizarre almost in a way to go back to square one and be like wait why is he being real i mean he's still kind of mean but why is he being so mean to molly and everything like that and why isn't he inviting people over for dinner some
1: would argue that he's meaner to molly now than he was then because you know back then he didn't realize the depths of her feelings now he knows about it and chooses to ignore it or actually not ignore it taunt her about it marissa
4: i I agree i like I liked going back after watching season three and then everything that's changed and it shows me just like how people really behave towards Sherlock at the beginning. yeah we, we see a lot of people they're kind of condescending and not really accepting of Sherlock. they're like he's a freak and all these different weird things, and he's like. He's a borderline, psychopath. <laughs> Yeah, psychopath. Yeah. But then we see in season three, after he supposedly died, how everyone reacted to his death. So just the the contrasting viewpoints on how they perceive Sherlock from season one to now is mm-hmm. completely radically and different. I think
3: that says a lot, too, because we, we, I tend to forget that, you know, season three picks up, he has been gone for two years, and so everybody, you know, had to grieve. And then, and, and so it's... Very interesting coming back to the point where people are annoyed to have him around yeah. where they haven't, like, had to not have him around.
1: Well, what it speaks to really is the relationship between him and John Watson and how that affects who he is. Because, you know, it's not just that he's solving all these cases because he solved cases long before John ever came onto the picture. But John humanizing him and and helping him, you know... Um, get a firmer grasp on more of his humanity, get a firmer grasp on his sense of humor, get a a firmer grasp on what it's like to relate to other people and not just see them as chess pieces. It really uh, helped people understand who he was and really come to love him. You know, you look at how Detective Inspector Lestrade, but long before we call him Greg, Mm -hmm. is treating him here, he's listening more to Anderson and Donovan than he is to Sherlock or John Watson. You know, it's it, it. They definitely come a long way, and you kind of forget how far they've come because in season two, there's already such a drastic change in how they feel about him. Granted, it doesn't save him during the Reichenbach fall, right. but you know, it's interesting. There are very few series that produce as few episodes as Sherlock does. It's three movies a, a year or every two years, and. It doesn't really leave a lot of room for evolution in these characters. Every season we come back and the game has changed. The stakes have changed. These people have changed a great deal. We don't see a gradual change as you might on, say, elementary. We are given rapid, drastic change because we have so little screen time to be able to soak this stuff in.
3: Yeah, and it jumps ahead a little bit, too, because, like, just going back to season three, between episode two and episode three, Molly's engagement is off. And it's very interesting to, you know, kind of just jump ahead and kind of skip that and have stuff like that happen off screen. But you're absolutely right. There's so little time to get to everything mm-hmm. that that's how a lot of stuff does have to be explained.
1: I loved seeing John flirt with uh, Moriarty's <laughs> attache. <My> cross. <laughs> My, Mycroft, Natasha. Oh my God, what's happening to me? <laughs> it's late here. It's lateish. It's late enough that I can make mistakes. Don't hate me.
3: Well, and they 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 do a fake out when yeah. I f- was first watching the show. I Thought was like, was okay, that's very interesting. They're showing Moriarty right out right out of the gate. I had no idea that they were going that they were showing that this was Mycroft because I was thinking that she was Irene Adler, you know, acting as a liaison between the two of them. And I think that's that's exactly what everybody wanted, you know, what they all wanted everybody to think. So yeah, I think that's what everyone
4: because Sherlock's been around for years and has already built a fan base before Sherlock, and I think that's what the fans expected. But I loved how they cleverly set that up for us in a completely different way. So it's something to look forward to.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Can we talk about the way that Mycroft was standing when?
1: Oh John yeah! How long do you think he was standing at that <laughs> jaunty and angle, leaning on his on his umbrella? I,
2: I feel like he had been there for maybe 30 <laughs> minutes, just like when are they going to get here? Where are they? Why is she texting it? They're still in the car. Why haven't they arrived? Mm-hmm. Just,
3: I'm going to stand in this perfect I pose. I think about that with Bond villains, like, you know, with the swivel chair <laughs> where they turn around as soon as the person enters. Yes. It's like, how long did you have to sit in the dark? But it's not
1: just standing at the perfect pose. It's like every three minutes someone has to come out and wet the ground again <laughs> so that it's sopping wet when they get there. <laughs> yes. Slick and just bouncing all that light back up off on, uh off the off the water on the floor.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm glad other people appreciated that stance. Oh, absolutely,
1: because it's it's just one of the things that I loved is uh, towards the end when Mycroft and Sherlock are, are finally together and we realize who Mycroft is and Sherlock's like, "You've been gaining weight," and Mycroft's like, "Lost weight actually," and I immediately flash <laughs> to Mycroft on the on the treadmill <laughs> like like a damp pluck chicken. Um, <laughs> That's
2: exactly what I'm talking about. With the with the jokes that had to we had to
4: wait three seasons yeah. and fifteen years for it to play off. It was oh, that. Yeah. But I think that was just a, a clever little subtle way of showing the difference between Sherlock and Mycroft mm-hmm. That they are completely different people, even though they are related, there's a difference between them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Have any of you gotten the chance? It's it's only available on the DVDs and Blu-rays of season one of Sherlock, but have you watched the original pilot not and not every fan may know that uh the pilot that we know as a study in pink is actually a uh combination of reshoots and uh original footage from the original pilot for sherlock um which is nowhere near as good it like it has all the promise but it doesn't have any of the energy
4: i'm trying to remember because i've seen the first episode of sherlock so many times but i have seen episode one on the dvd yeah. And I'm just trying to remember the differences, but I really don't. Well, maybe kind of all blend. Maybe together. we can do Neither a little
1: like. a little mini mini sode where yeah. we compare the two after we've gone through this whole these two seasons. Um, but it's it's amazing how fully formed the show feels right out of the box. The characters are very well written. The style of stories that they want to do are very very uh, clear. The visual style is at its in its infancy, but it's very clear that they want to do something dramatic and very visual. Um, but here, what later in the series are like clever uses of video footage, um, or, you know, slow motion or transitions between scenes here. It's a lot of use of photographs for transitions, uh, quick cuts of, of street signs in the, in the taxi cab Mm -hmm. chase sequence. Establishing shots. Yeah. Establishing shots. The the style of the show is in its infancy, but the editing is still just as sharp. Um, and it's really, really cool to see how far it's come in the t- in the three years pr- since. I mean, when did this come out?
4: 2011? I uh, Yeah, it started, uh, I believe, t- uh, 2010, actually. I think it was 2010. 2010. Yeah, 2010. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's 2014 now. It's kind of crazy how far we've come in, you know, a l- little over three years. Yeah,
4: and even the cinematography, too. I mean, it's always been great from the beginning and i noticed going back to season 1 there's a lot of close ups extreme close ups on on eyes and people's and face um some facial uh parts and stuff that are really really up close but oh, yeah. it still adds to all the deductions that sherlock makes mm-hmm. with characters and stuff mm-hmm.
1: so and uh the director of the pilot uh paul McGuigan, at the time had was really only known for his movie lucky number 11
3: uh great movie oh Mm -hmm. i didn't realize that was the same director same
1: director and he very much established this quick cut style lots of extreme close-ups creative and inventive uses of the visual language to really uh, get across a lot of dense information and a lot of character information Mm -hmm. which you know they just they just pack it all in there it's so it's so great to see it again now at the top of this episode you know it's funny looking back how much time we have before we even see Sherlock Holmes. It's like a solid 15 to 20 minutes. And it's
2: all about John.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, because John is the audience. He's our entry into the world of Sherlock. And you're you're kind of realizing how boring and light his life is before he meets him. Before he really gets to be part of this war. This underground war that's going on. Um, and how bored he is. He's so frustrated, John. Like, as much as John has helped Sherlock, Sherlock has helped John a hundredfold.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, no, definitely. They need each other. Like, um, John is there to keep Sherlock in line, so to speak, and to humanize him. But John, uh, and I think we talked about this a lot with, um, him picking Mary, um, he likes the danger. He likes the excitement. He likes getting into trouble he even if he doesn't realize it. <laughs> yeah, he, he totally likes the drama. Yeah.
4: He
1: loves the drama and he needs something to write about. His blog at this point. Empty. Yeah, yeah and I think, uh, again,
4: you said John, John is the audience, but John is the voice of the audience. He asks all the questions that the audience is thinking of. He's the one that expresses all those questions that we have. And he's the one that introduces us to Sherlock in a way that in he ha- helps the audience understand Sherlock the way he sees it as a Not really regular, but like as a civilian viewpoint, Mm -hmm. which I think that's a good thing with this complicated relationship (laughs) that they have. It's just he helps the audience understand Sherlock.
1: Mm -hmm. One of the things that I love most in terms of contrasting this against the episodes in season two and season three is how intimate and quiet of a story A Study in Pink is. You know, a large part of it is about establishing these characters and their relationship to each other. But the mystery is relatively small. Mm -hmm. We have four people who have committed suicide based on someone else taking them to a place that they shouldn't have been. And basically talking them to death, getting them to pick a pill. <laughs> that's
3: a fun way to, t- that's yeah. a fun way to refer to it. Yeah.
1: That's basically what I'm doing to you guys I was over say, I a feel very like long you period would be great of time at this. and to all of the audience out there <laughs> because they all, they all don't know. I know that you, you love me and that you'd never think that I was talking you to death. And <laughs> You would have told me that by now, right? 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 right fans? Right? Family? <laughs> right? Librifans? That's that's what I call my family. That your
4: your trending fan base. That's now. my trending
1: fan base that I that I use Lieberfans. only by myself in my mirrors. Liberfans? Librifans? It's gonna no, be a thing. Have fins. Yeah, you It's exactly what a, it sounds a like. Librifin club? No, there's no such thing as a Lieberfin <laughs> club because it's too big to be a club. It's a nation. Um. Uh,
3: okay yeah. it's a sensation it's That's a sensation weird
1: yeah oh <laughs> uh, okay i'm gonna quickly talk about itunes so that we never have to address the outside world ever again and yeah. we can just talk about this show after this plug hey fans here's the thing you've been going on itunes you've been doing what we asked and giving us the reviews the ratings and guess what it made all the difference in the world because it got you more Sherlock episodes. If we didn't have the proof that the fan base was really on board with this, we would not have been able to do all these extra episodes. We've been consistently number one or number two since we launched, and it's a huge, huge deal. It's kind of rocking several worlds at once. (laughs) So, what do we ask of you now? Don't stop for anything. (laughs) You have the power to make a fleet of Sherlock episodes fly from the proverbial hangar because that's how life works. Life <laughs> is basically the Air Force. Um, my metaphors have gone to crap <laughs> in the last in the last few hours. Uh, when you do as many shows as we do, you, you use up a lot of energy and a lot of love. And I'm trying to give every last bit that I have left to you because you've made this show happen and continue to happen. And I'm also trying to pull up All of your wonderful iTunes reviews because they make me so, so happy. It it really means a lot because here's the thing, folks. People don't really realize that you are the only reason that these shows exist. We make them for free because we want to entertain you. You get to watch them or stream them or listen to them on any of your devices. It's pretty incredible. We live in the future. And if you want to give Sherlock the level of respect that it deserves, the level of respect that we try to give it, slap us with a review Give us a comment. It really does make a difference. It keeps the show searchable, and it keeps us in the top ten, in the top two, thank you very much, mm-hmm. um, for a solid month. And now, 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 <laughs>
4: now. We'll do ratings er, yeah. from people. I actually have some. Oh, you have yeah. some? Yeah, Marissa I, I Serafini. Some. Uh Thank you to, uh, and I'll just keep go from the most recent to uh, – past one that we just did. Uh, thank you to Power underscore Man 77. Just clever. Keep up the good work. Five Yay. stars. Thanks. Um, thank you to Drew Start 921. They said this show was awesome. Aww, Aww. Thank you to G. Pi Tanza, fantastic recaps. This is a great podcast. The hosts are funny and the recaps are in depth. Aww. And another one, thank you to Shane J M. Wonderful, just wonderful. Aww. Best afterbuzz podcast out there. Love the quirkiness of the panel. Love your predictions. Wow. Thank you to Rogers Lax Twenty Four Three Pete. I love your clever insight, and it helps me understand the parts of the show that confuse me. Humor mixed with personality makes a great after-show.
1: Yeah, those are awesome. I love all these reviews. You like quirkiness? You think it's the best show out there? Rad. I also love Rogers Lacks seventy-four is a lady. Is a lady, and you wouldn't know that necessarily (laughs) from the name. But everyone rocks. You rock. Go you. Keep the reviews coming. Keep us fueled.
4: Yeah, and just three more. Thank you to Greek Cheek Twenty, yep. aka Joe Lewis, Alice Nine Five
3: Five.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. You guys thank you are awesome. To
3: everybody who comments on YouTube and everybody who tweets us, yeah, oh, yeah. you guys just make our day when you do. I
1: tell you what, I love tweets. I like getting them. I like responding to them. I like getting weird photographs. (laughs) I like getting tips.
2: What? I also like weird photographs. I just want to say. And
4: you know what? Just being a little bit of a producer here, I will give you a little insight about our Sherlock After Show. I know for a fact our Sherlock After Show just in one day gets over 100,000 Downloads. Wow. A zero. Wow. zero, zero, zero. One
1: hundred thirty thousand. One
4: hundred thirty thousand dollars just in one day. Oh my Thank god! So yeah. isn't that amazing? Wow. Sure. Wow. fans, you guys are awesome. You Thank are you so the much. best. Just yeah. a little tidbit from my side. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: Lock. We 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 have locked you deep in our hearts, and I hope that you have done the same. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, folks. Let's talk about the taxi driver. And his little game that he plays. Um, I've always loved this character. He's so kind of creepy and chilling. And he's a very quiet kind of super genius. He doesn't need to shout it from a rooftop like Moriarty. He doesn't <laughs> need everyone in the room to know like Sherlock. He's someone who's very, very smart. Never really used it to forward his life at all. And now facing the very end is willing to play the most dangerous game.
3: I always thought he was a, oh wait, am I waiting?
1: Nope, you're not. Okay.
3: <laughs> you <laughs> were <laughs> leaning you in say. really close to the mic. And it so, was
1: what they call a misdirect. <laughs> <laughs> meow. Continue.
3: I always, when I first watched this episode, I was, um, I always thought he was kind of a weird mix between Jigsaw and Vecini from The Princess Bride. That's so funny. Because when yeah. he pulls out the two things of poison, I was like, they're both poison! He spent the last five years developing an immunity to Iocane powder. <laughs> that, that thought definitely crossed my mind. <laughs>
1: Yeah, is they have they made iocane into nice digestible capsules? I
3: imagined in whatever year this took place sure, in 2010. Sure, sure yeah. why not?
1: Yeah, we've we've come a long way. We can synthesize iocane powder and <laughs> sure. put it into nice little capsules. <laughs> no.
3: But, and actually and I was talking to Yella about this but um it actually did feel a lot like Saw 2 if you've ever watched Saw 2 because a good portion of Saw 2 is just Jigsaw sitting down and having a discussion with a detective. Hmm. So it like that scene in particular at at the end between the cabbie and Sherlock felt a lot like that to me.
1: Yeah. Well, it's 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 a bit of a tense moment because this cab driver is Using Sherlock's ego against him, you know, uh, Sherlock is able to walk away. He, you know, he realizes that the gun isn't real. It's just a very elaborate cigarette lighter to which I state, I can't decide if I want that or not. (laughs) I don't smoke cigarettes (laughs) anymore. What are you
2: going to use the lighter for?
1: I don't know, for lighting candles. (laughs) Then you need it. A candle lighting gun? (laughs) Who wouldn't want that? It's everything that I love about my candle lighter, except it's also a gun.
4: <laughs> my bad.
1: Yeah. Perfect to scare
4: bad. away people, though.
1: Oh, totally. You I won't... mean, it did
4: its purpose.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. If you don't look too closely at it, it looks very, very real. Yeah, but
4: Sherlock should not be fooled. And he wasn't.
1: He wasn't. Um, and he was ready to walk out the door when the guy's like, you know, so just, just so I know, what bottle would you have picked? just so I know if I would have beaten you. And at that door shut. (laughs) He's like, no one can beat me. I'm Sherlock Holmes. And I was legitimately, the first time I saw it and even now, terrified for him that he would pick and that he would die. Um, It's the last pill in both bottles. They could both be poison, Just like Megan said.
2: It's the first episode of the (laughs) series.
1: I don't care. Okay.
2: Well, when we first uh, figure out it's the cabbie and he explains how he talks you know he talks yeah. to people to death um i was instantly reminded of um the trinity killer on dexter
3: oh who
2: good convinced pull. people to commit suicide that uh, the only one that stands out in my mind is the woman that he convinces to jump um who talks to you and makes you feel guilty and and grief and tells you your life isn't worth living and that's where i thought it was
1: that's why she scratches rachel into the floor
2: right that's what i believed
1: oh that never clicked with me. The
2: first time I saw the show, I was positive that it was, I was positive way early on that it was a taxi driver, which really disappointed me that it took Sherlock so long to figure out. The moment that they find that she doesn't have the suitcase and he says it must have been left in a car and they didn't realize that it was there. What what kind of situation would you be in? I was like a cab, you would be in a cab. You've
1: never had someone leave something in your in your car? No. <laughs> wow. wow. You lead a charm life. <laughs> I uh, think you I'm don't travel I'm actually really disappointed
3: yeah. because I left my scarf in my car. You never left anything behind in your car. I don't forget anything. <laughs> <laughs> I am like an elephant. Hmm.
4: But if you think about it, yes, it did take Sherlock a while to get to that point. But if you think about it, this is the first episode. There was character development, character meetings. They were just starting to get to know each other. We were just starting to get to know everyone. Sure. And establish all, all these people. So, yes, they're going to get the... The acquaintances out of the way, and then get to the storyline. Right. But what I loved is that how yes, this is a serial killer, and I don't know if you guys ever watched the show Criminal Minds. Mm-hmm. Ah, such a good show. Just saying, um, they they talked about his stressor, and the, the and in Criminal Minds it's usually like serial killers have the tendencies of all these things, but it's usually one big outside external source that sets them off on their serial path. Mm-hmm. And this and this. Instance for Sherlock, it w- the cab driver. He found out he had cancer. That was his stressor, and yeah. that was started him on the serial killing. Mm-hmm. Actually, and I loved was, how they got to um, that part.
3: It was an aneurysm, actually. Yeah, and Jigsaw
4: aneurysm. was cancer, but yeah, <laughs> spoilers. But he realized that he had cancer. He was dying, mm-hmm. and so just that knowing that you're dying. Would That is a big enough stressor for
3: him to go on this serial killing Absolutely. And very interesting motivation, too, because for for every person that he kills, he gets more money to leave behind for his kids. Yeah. And so his whole motivation for doing this not only was, you know, he had nothing to lose, but he wanted to provide for the family that he still loves. Well, let
1: me ask everyone in the room right now. If you were in the position... To leave your family behind with some money, you knew that you were dying within the next month, and someone offered you $500,000 for every person you kill before you die. Would you take it?
3: I'm going to go with no. (laughs)
1: I want to know what
2: yell has to say. I want to, I want to hear Marissa first. <laughs> I'm,
4: I'm going to go with no because I have a lot of different things. One, I'm the youngest person in my family. So usually it's the other way around. They would leave money for me. Um, <laughs> second, of all, second of all, I really don't have a lot of money. And plus, I wouldn't kill people for that. I yeah. think my moral ground is like a lot higher than...
3: Yeah. Than, uh, I know yeah. that if like not only is it wrong to kill people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> first of all, first and foremost, I know that if my family ever found out where this money came from, they for one, they wouldn't accept it. They would be disgusted and they would be disappointed in me and their memory of me, you know, after I'm gone now would forever I, be tainted. Now
1: I really want to hear what Yel
3: says. <laughs> How much
4: is yeah, the amount?
3: <laughs>
1: Five hundred thousand per person you kill.
2: I would do it for a lot less. <laughs> oh.
1: No. Here's the thing. I would not do it, but I would probably cry myself to sleep thinking about the money that my family could really use if I had. Like, I would cry myself to sleep feeling perversely that I was too weak to do it. Do you know what I mean?
3: Yeah, it, but how badly would you feel if you actually went through it?
1: Oh, just as bad. But I'd be dead in a month. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
4: Yeah, see, I I don't think I could have that on my conscience, knowing that I killed people for money. I think yeah, that's. I mean, as fortunate, You'd be dead in a month. People, unfortunately, some people actually do that, but it's just. Uh, well, I wait, couldn't what, get my what, life
3: to do that. Are these innocent people being killed, or are these like Dexter serial killer type people well, that we're going after in our final month of life?
1: <laughs> I mean, two of them were adulterers. Uh, wait, adulterers mm.
3: should be put to death?
1: <laughs> no, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying it's two of the people, two <laughs> of the people in this episode were adulterers. Our, our final victim and our our first victim mm-hmm. were both adulterers. Um... I mean, granted, we didn't really get into what was going on with the middle two, but that would have been an interesting coincidence.
3: No, I no. It's so bad, but you're it's not. You're that pretty much bad. saying, do
4: this, does the circumstance like justify the means?
1: Probably uh, not. Probably not. There's still innocents who are being killed, uh, so that's not good. Let's not do that.
3: Yeah, one of them was a kid, like an 18 year old kid. Yeah, yeah, he had so
1: much life left to live. He was going to get his coat. They were going to have a great night, and then he got murdered <laughs> instead. <laughs> He could have just and stood it a a huge talked to, to death. He was too afraid of being close to his male friend and, and bridging that gap that he couldn't stand under his umbrella mm-hmm. and live. Think if about only, that. If
2: only he had been more confident in his
1: sexuality. In his, sexuality. more secure in his sexuality, yeah. he would still be alive. <laughs> Let's not judge the dead, especially if they're fake. Okay. Um, one of my favorite things that's planted in this episode and we saw it bear fruit in the Reichenbach fall Mm -hmm. is Sally Donovan's monologue to John where he's like, you know, he doesn't have friends. And one of these days just coming and seeing these murders isn't going to be enough for him. He's going to snap and he's going to kill someone. And it's something that has and hasn't been addressed. Everyone around him's reaction has been redre- uh, addressed that people would suspect him of killing someone.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But there still is kind of a nugget of truth in there, in this high-functioning sociopath. And it comes down to what we saw at the end of season three, that when he's put, pushed to the le- to the edge, he'll kill someone if he has to.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm wondering how far that, how far that goes. How many people would he kill if he had to?
4: See, and, and I'm just going back to again criminal minds because they kind of, they kind of touch upon the same things that they have to think just like the serial killers. But what makes them any more different? What makes them not kill all these people, even though they know and have to act the same way that serial killers? It's having that conscious, knowing the good and the bad. And Sherlock is fortunately a good person. Yes, he has some crazy tendencies, but he knows the good and the bad. He knows the good people from the bad people. And that's what stops him from not killing or being on that edge of not killing people.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um,
2: I think uh, what was very interesting is that the more I watch this episode, the more I've seen the show, I can't help but think what if there were no murderers in London?
1: Whoa.
2: <laughs> like how that's bored kind of a big he deal. Do?
1: He would be bored. I, I can't imagine a world without murder. It's kind of amazing. But what's, like, isn't that kind of perverse that I can't imagine a world without murder? Because it, Well,
4: if there was well, no. a world without murder, then it'd be utopia. And that's, as I, we know... I wouldn't
2: say that... that- a world without murder automatically will cause utopia. Well, I'm
4: not saying utopia, but it'd be a more ideal world, but that's just not the world But I'm saying that for Sherlock, well, he would be I
3: bored. I wonder yeah. if yeah, in, in better circumstances, <laughs> in better circumstances, like if there was less crime in London, if there weren't so many mysteries to be solved, if there wasn't so much work to be done, if he would have taken the Moriarty route and become a consulting criminal instead of a consulting detective... Right. Fair question.
1: It is a fair question. You know, uh, look, Sherlock is someone of a massive intelligence who's also got a serious inferiority complex at the hands of his brother. Mm -hmm. You know, he grew up thinking that he was stupid. And I think it's one of the reasons it's it's the thing that's going to get him killed, honestly, is the fact that he has this inferiority complex. And one of these days, someone like this taxi driver is going to push that button enough that he does something stupid, that he makes a mistake.
3: Yeah, he feels such a need to prove he's clever. Yes. you know he has to shout it from the rooftops. I'm clever, everyone. Um, you know he has to. Which do is just these- such a
1: moffity <laughs> trait. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah.
3: That uh, you're you're absolutely right. It's going to be the thing that gets him into trouble. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you know, in a world where there is no murder, he would he would have to do it through crime. He would have to do it in some way that everyone would notice. In the same way that Moriarty does
2: it. So he's kind, Donovan is kind of right.
1: Yeah. Kind of. And it's scary how right she is. Well, you know, it's something that, that isn't going to go away. And it's kind of the thesis statement of this take on Sherlock is, you know, if this person exists in our world today, all the things that he's able to do, the technology that's at his service, one of these days, because we're all over overstimulated and desensitized, mm-hmm. someone who's that intelligent will one day go too far because... Society enables him to do so in a very public fashion.
4: I'm I'm glad that Sally said that to John. So far, so right off the bat in the series, that hopefully, um, she said it in a way to make sure John's the one that keeps Sherlock in check. Mm-hmm. Make sure that he does that. Sherlock doesn't cross that line, and that's John, right. That's John's responsibility to make sure that doesn't happen.
1: I think that's an excellent point because John's influence, I think, is very mu- much the reason why. Sherlock hasn't gone too far. Exactly. Yeah,
4: it, it's he's the conscious of Sherlock in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. I
1: think I one hundred percent agree with that.
4: He's Sherlock's Jiminy Cricket. Yeah, yeah, pretty much.
1: Do you know what's another thing that I loved about this episode? That's another seed that got planted is the story of Mrs. Hudson's husband. Oh,
3: yeah. Ah, yes.
1: <laughs> and we later find <laughs> out a little tidbit. Who, who he is and what he did. But in this episode, even so far ahead of time, we find out that, you know, he was on trial with the death penalty and Sherlock made sure that he got killed. So Mrs. Hudson must have been pretty afraid of him to want him dead.
3: Right. And, um, another thing they, they set up, um, that, uh, comes, you know, full circle in the Reichenbach fall is the fact that basically nobody on the police is a big fan of Sherlock because he's always kind of upstaging them and off doing his own thing and basically just generally making them look bad. And, um, I think it's very interesting that, you know, our two, our two cops, uh, that are Lestrade's right hand man and woman, are the two that will end up coming to him and making him doubt Sherlock in the Reichenbach fall, Mm -hmm. just like Moriarty planned. (laughs) Yeah, and if you think about
4: it, yes, the police don't like Sherlock right off the bat, but Sherlock, he does it in a, in a way that he's also insulting them. And he says all these yeah. lines. What's it like to be in your mind? It must be so boring. You know, he <laughs> says all these lines that purposely yeah. spites them. And especially when he was calling out Anderson and sleeping and with the w- girls. Yeah, with Donovan. With with that was purely out of spite. Oh, yeah.
1: When he talked about the state of her knees, watching yeah. that again, I'm like, oh! Yeah. I so completely forgot that happened.
4: Sherlock is really smart. And there, so there are... Other things other than just always upstaging the police forces that he purposely insults them as well while mm-hmm. he's working. He was
1: kind of he was being kind of a dick. Exactly. <laughs> kind, kind of. of. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, Such a dick. That's just that's that's over the line. It's crossing the line. You don't talk about the state of a woman's knees. <laughs> it's not his place. Well
3: again, he has to be Mr. Superior over everybody. And again, due to his inferiority complex, he has to lot it over everybody. And it's easy to see why that would make him a lot of enemies and why that would come back to bite him later on. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
3: It helps him with his ego.
1: It does. Um, I love uh, I love the moment where they go into Baker Street for the first time and, uh, and John's like, this place has a lot of promise. If we just clear out the rubbish just as uh, Sherlock's like, I agree. That's why I moved all my stuff in. Oh. <laughs> um, and we also, I like seeing it how it was before John even moves in. And then how it evolves over the course of these three seasons where we have John living there, we have John moved out, we have, uh, you know, John kind of settling back in Mm -hmm. in this third season. His chair is different. Um, You know, Sherlock was making messes in his kitchen lab even Mm -hmm. as early as then. How could John possibly survive in that environment
2: i have thought a lot about this okay and the first place we see john living he has nothing
1: yeah he's spa- he, he's spartan he's he a has, warrior
2: he has his he's a his, hermit his, so. his gun his cane and his computer so when he moves in he brings a gun a cane and a computer <laughs> that's all he needs so sherlock's and even by and, the end
3: he doesn't need the cane anymore yeah
2: and the gun he, he uses it and i think he's done with it yeah. so all he needs is the computer when he moves in with sherlock he, he doesn't bring anything. I think that's why he can live with all this crap because he doesn't have any. I think if he had his whole life, what about with him... the
1: kitchen? Human eyes in the microwave. <laughs> yeah,
4: you take
2: and there's out. a head in the fridge. Later on, you take it <laughs> out. You put what you need in. You use the microwave. You put uh, it back.
4: And also, if you think about it, John was a war doctor. He was in the field. They're known to make things out of anything. True, <laughs> and he can get by with little amounts of stuff. So. True.
3: Yeah, yeah, I think if he can survive in Afghanistan, he can survive in the war zone that is Sherlock's apartment. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Whatever happened to this other dude who went to Bart's? He never shows up Mike? again. Yeah, Mike
2: Hanford. I was, I was Hanford. wondering that. It's yeah. like we meet him. We get a full name.
1: Yeah. That's it. Nothing ever again. Dude goes back to leaving a perfectly normal, boring life. And we never really got to explain how he knew Sherlock.
2: Yeah, I was wondering that
3: as well. Or
1: why he would be at the morgue testing stuff.
3: Do you think that maybe they had planned, like that was part of the original pilot that they had planned to set something up with him, and then it just kind of fell through? It never came to fruition. I've to watch
1: it again. It's been a while since I watched the original pilot, and I'm very, very curious to watch it again now that we're having this all this discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about Molly. We don't we we don't have tons of time, and I feel like we we've covered a lot of it, but. Um, it's just so sad their whole interaction.
3: Oh. Oh. It broke my heart the first time around, and, yeah. and again, yeah. it's after everything that's happened. It's kind of like, oh, it's just as painful, if not more so.
1: I love how it's framed. She asks him out for coffee, and she's got this confidence to her. And I'm like, go you, get it, girl. And then, <laughs> and then he shuts her down with impunity. And then the next shot, she looks so tiny next to this dead body, and I'm just like. You little, poor little thing, you. I just want you to be happy.
2: I want her to be happy. She deserves it. With Lestrade.
1: (laughs) Get it, Greg. I mean, get it, girl. I mean, get it, all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anything else anyone else wants to talk about?
2: Um, uh-huh. I wanted to sorry, I wanted to mention uh John's sister, Harriet.
1: Yes, Harry. We still haven't seen or was Harry wasn't at the wedding.
2: Harry was not at the wedding. No, and I think no. that they they set up that they're you know, they don't talk, there's all this problems and whatever mm-hmm. with uh with her alcoholism. Uh but I was really surprised that she wasn't at the wedding. Yeah. And I wonder if she'll ever come back or if she's like Sean from Boy Meets World sister who disappeared. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Or um, I think there was a character in Frasier that they always mentioned, but never was actually there. Mm. I I think I I don't know. I might be remembering that wrong. Right? Maybe so, maybe she's like that.
4: It's mm-hmm. a classic
1: television trope, Marissa. Or
3: maybe they'll
4: in season four they might reveal. I hope Harry. so. That mm-hmm. would be great. I mean, mm-hmm. because if you think about it, season three we kind of got a flashback of their family, uh, Sherlock's family. So hopefully, because. The fan base has, you know, grown so much that we can handle more characters. If they brought in a hair character, mm-hmm. yeah. that'd be interesting. Well, and she's going like... to have
3: a nephew or a niece
4: exactly.
1: pretty soon. Too. She yeah. may not like ceremonies, but she's got to meet her own blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
2: hope we get to meet her.
1: I hope we get to meet her too, and she gets wrapped up in a mystery. It's wonderful. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, anything else? Um, I just got to say, I
4: loved the how they introduce how Sherlock int- deducts everything from. John is the first acquaintance to the the woman in pink on the floor. Just like how they just establish how Sherlock thinks and how he breaks down people, I thought that was brilliant.
3: Yeah, it becomes a staple for the rest of the series. Yeah, yeah. And it, it really, it
4: really sets, up. sets up the tone of how Sherlock thinks and the pace of all all the yeah. murders and mysteries that goes. And
1: on. the movie and and the show came out at the around the same time as the Robert Downey Jr. film. Yeah. Um well
4: the first Robert Downey Jr film came
1: out in 2009 I believe. Okay. Well it it, it, been it came out late 2009 this came out early 2010. So it was soon thereafter and I've always preferred the way that modern Sherlock does it compared to those movies. Mm-hmm. I like the way that it's represented. I like that it's visual um and it's just a heck of a lot of fun. I, I
0: agree.
1: I love how it's evolved. All right, I think that's going to be enough for us uh, tonight. We've got another show tomorrow talking about the blind banker, mm-hmm. uh, the off-maligned, perhaps misunderstood second episode of Sherlock.
4: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and we're gonna we're gonna break it down for you right here on After Buzz TV. Yell Teagle. Where can the people find you?
2: Uh, the people can find me online at yell.tv. That's Y-A-E-L dot TV. And on Twitter and Instagram at yellteagle, Y-A-E-L-T-Y-G-I-E-L. And right here on AfterBuzz uh, with Lost Girl and Grimm and House of Lies and Arrow and the Tomorrow
3: People uh, pretty much every night of the week. <laughs>
1: wow. Now, Megan Salinas, I have a very personal question for you. Where can the people find you? You can
3: find me on Twitter at TheMenguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. You can also find me here at AfterBuzz on Almost Human and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.
1: All right. Now, Marissa Serafini, you've been with this network since practically the beginning. For a while. (laughs) For a very long time. I don't think that anyone's asked you this really and truly, honestly, right here on the air. Where can the people find you?
4: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Seraphine TV. You can follow me on Anatomy of a Movie uh, podcast. We do Afterbus TV, but for movies, it's fun. Uh, you should definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, I'm on random different shows here. A lot of them are on hiatus right now because the Olympics and whatnot. But I'm here every single day, so I'm wonderful. Sure I'm not that hard to find.
1: So honestly. visit her on the chat roll. Why don't you? Yeah. Or send her a nice tweet. <laughs> Folks, you can find me, if you should so choose, on the Twitter at Matt Lieberman. That's M A T T L I E B E R M A N. You can find me here at Afterpost TV. Whole bunch of shows Helix and Lost Girl on Sci Fi, Lost Girl with Yale Teagle. Yep. Uh, Megan Salinas, I'm on Agent <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. and Almost Human with You. I got Cougar Town. I got Justified. I got Banshee on Cinemax. Great show. You should be watching all these shows. And. If you want to watch live comedy, you live in the L.A. area, here's what you do. You go to the I.O. West Comedy Theater on Hollywood Boulevard, 6366 Hollywood Boulevard, and I perform there the first Sunday of every month at 9 p.m. as a member of DJ Fawcett. Next show is going to be on March 9th. Uh, at 9 p.m. But we're also doing a very special late night sketch cage match show Uh next Monday night at 11 p.m. We need audience support, audience participation to help us beat this other team because we're pretty amazing. A cage so, match? Oh, yeah. It's a cage match. Okay. It's a battle. Oh, a comedy battle to the death. Sounds oh. like a
3: war.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: it's a comedy war. <laughs> Sounds intense. Anyway, we'll be back tomorrow. Blind Banker. Stay tuned. Love
0: you all. Peace.